1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Mindful Minute. Today is part two in our two-part discussion on the power of awe. Today, I'm chatting with Jake Eagle, who is co-author of the incredible book by the same name, The Power of Awe. Last week, I chatted with Jake's co-author, Dr. Michael Amster, so be sure to go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. Jake was a licensed mental health counselor for the past 27 years, and now practices as a metatherapist, exploring what comes after therapy. Although Jake recognizes the value of therapy, he also recognizes the limitations, and has developed a method that accelerates and simplifies the process of personal growth. Today, Jake and I are going to further the discussion started last week around the emotion of awe and the micro-mindfulness practice that he and Michael co-created in their book. We talk about why this is such an important, impactful practice for our nervous system. We get it a little bit deeper into why this is so helpful in terms of addressing stress, anxiety, and burnout. And Jake also introduces for us Three levels of consciousness. The really interesting thing about this is he gives us some tools to think about connecting to the level of consciousness we're in and how to shift to the level we want to be in, whether we're in the middle of a conversation or whether we're exploring it in a seated guided meditation. Jake guides an incredible meditation at the end of today's conversation, you guys one that teaches us how to shift through levels of consciousness, I really encourage you to stay and make time to do that practice. It's short. It's less than five minutes. And it's really good. You know, what I loved about having Michael last week and Jake this week to talk about this book is that you get to hear about the practice of awe from someone who loves to meditate and finds it easy and someone who tries to meditate and finds it difficult. And I love that where these two meet is in the practices that we're talking about today. It is in the practice of connecting to awe. Not necessarily the big, vast type of awe that we think about when we're standing at the shoreline of the ocean, or we're looking at an incredible night sky. Could be that, but it could also be the type of awe that we experience in any moment, in this moment right now, when you are listening to a podcast and maybe driving your car or doing dishes or whatever it is you do while you listen. So, if creating a meditation practice is a goal you have set for yourself this year, starting with this mini practice of awe is a great way to further
2: your goal. So without any further ado, come on, join me for today's conversation. Jake, thank you so
1: much for chatting today.
3: Well, I'm excited to be here and to meet you.
1: Same, same. I um, already had the privilege of chatting with your co-author, Michael, which was a really fun conversation. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the subject of awe. And I thought maybe we could start, maybe just give us a little bit of a background of who you are in in the world, the work that you do, um, just so listeners have a sense of you.
3: Sure. I'd be happy to do that. I'm uh, talking to you now from Hawaii, which is where my wife, Hannah, and I live. We moved here seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Before that, we were in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I was in private practice as a psychotherapist for 30 years. And when we moved here, my intention was to slow down and uh, kind of semi-retire. And then I found that the transition was particularly difficult. I, I found that letting go of my work life was kind of like letting go of my identity. And mm-hmm. so I had a, I, I found it to be very challenging. And as a result, I started to develop some ways to help myself. And often when I develop something that I find helpful, I share it with other people. So I developed a course, and it was called Thrilled to be Alive. And I taught that course, and one of the people in it was Michael Amster, who's my co-author. Michael and I have known each other for 15 years. We've become friends, and we've worked together on various things. So Michael was in that course, and, um, and, and that led to us having a... Curiosity about how can we help people shift their state of consciousness um, more quickly. Both of us are longtime meditators. Michael's a very serious meditator and very good at it. I am a meditator who's not good at it and never particularly liked it. So um, we came up with an idea, and it had to do with these micro meditations, because when I taught my course, I was asking people to meditate, but most people said, I don't have 10 minutes a day. I can't meditate. So I said, well, why if you just do it for 30 seconds or a minute and you just focus on something that you really appreciate? So people did that. And what was so interesting is the people who did that got results that were as good as the people who were doing 20-minute meditations a day. Wow. And that was what surprised me and Michael as well. And so we developed this idea. Uh, what we called microdosing mindfulness. And the idea was that throughout the day, you take some time to microdose on something. And in hindsight, we didn't know this at the time, but in something that um, elicits the emotion of awe. And we found it to be very fascinating how people gravitated toward this and how they seemed to get a significant benefit out of something that was so easy to do. So Michael did a pilot project with his pain patients. I did one with patients from my private practice. And again, we got really good results. And this time we did pre-course surveys and post-course surveys, and we really documented what happened. The results were so good that Michael went to UC Berkeley, which is one of the places where they've done the greatest amount of research on the emotion of awe. He shared the results with Dacher Keltner, who's kind of the big granddaddy of awe research. Mm -hmm. And he was just astounded. He said, this is fantastic. I think you guys are tapping into what I would call the future of mindfulness, which is how people can experience mindfulness while in the midst of busy, hectic lives. So we decided we would do a big study um, with UC Berkeley and the hospital that Michael worked at, and then COVID hit. So we ended up doing our study right at the height of COVID in June of 2020. And we had 200 healthcare professionals and 300 lay people, patients, and family members. And the results were phenomenal. Um, We saw decreases in depression, decreases in anxiety, decreases in loneliness and burnout, um, improvement in well-being, reduction in physical symptoms of pain and discomfort. And anyway, that, the results were so significant that it led to publishers asking us to write a book, which mm. we never intended to do. Remember, I moved to Hawaii to send me rejection So we ended up, uh, we took a year, we wrote the book. It came out uh, January of 2023. And since that time, we've been sharing this with people. We've also done another study. I won't go into a lot of detail, but we did another study at UC Davis this year for people struggling with long COVID. And we've only got preliminary results on that, but once again, the results are very encouraging. And um, so we're excited to share this, get it out in the world. Before you and I started taping, you said you know that you were kind of reluctant because you're not someone who believes in kind of quick fixes or you know simple solutions. And I share that with you. I was actually embarrassed (laughs) by the subtitle of our book, which is. Overcome burnout and anxiety, ease chronic pain, find clarity and purpose in less than one minute per day. I thought, gosh, that sounds awfully unrealistic. However, um, it's been documented. We have documented that if people will spend a minute a day, and we, you and I could go into more detail, but that means practicing this three or four times a, a day for about 15 or 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. It, it will result in these significant shifts in people's attitudes, their physiology. And that has all sorts of ripple effects, such as in our relationships and so many other things in our lives.
1: Mm. You know, I want to circle back to the first thing you said was this course that you created, Thrilled to be Alive. You mentioned it in the preface of the book, and you mentioned that you, as an experiment, were asking yourself, Am I thrilled to be alive? You did this for several days or weeks. I can't quite remember. And it immediately caught my attention because it is, I mean, in essence, asking you to pay attention every day, right? Which is so interesting because I think it's so easy for us to say, how are you doing? Oh, gosh, I'm tired. And maybe you don't notice that you said, gosh, I'm tired every day for four months. And if that's the case, we should pay attention to that, right? So I love love that invitation.
2: The simplicity of that in itself is a powerful opportunity for us.
3: Yeah. So when I started that, um, again, I was kind of having a hard time. And yet, objectively, my life looked fantastic. I'm living in Hawaii. I'm with the woman of my dreams. We've been together 30 years. We've built a home that we love. Everything's great. And yet I'm not happy. So that's why I started asking the question, you know, am I thrilled to be alive? And it was a longer route to get to awe than simply doing the awe practice. Mm -hmm. But they basically serve the same purpose. Now, if a person is living a life and they're not thrilled to be alive, the question isn't as productive. What it does is it raises it raises the Issue of why am I not thrilled to be alive? So that can take us into many directions. Yeah. But when instead of asking the question, am I thrilled to be alive? When we simply commit to look for awe three times a day, that's the most direct route that we've discovered to shift people's physiological state, to shift their nervous system.
1: Mm. And so why don't we talk listeners through how we Connect to awe. Let's talk about the practice that you offer in this book.
3: Yeah. So the practice is called the Awe practice. We took the emotion awe, AWE, and we turned it into an acronym. And the A stands for attention. So the first step in this method is to place your attention on something you appreciate, value, or find to be amazing. And, and listeners can do this as I'm talking. You just think about something you appreciate, value, or find to be amazing. It may be something in your physical environment. It may be a memory. It may be that you have a dog or a cat sitting next to you and you put your hand on them and you're petting them. And that is something you deeply appreciate. So it can be many sources of of awe and inspiration. The second letter is W, and that stands for wait. And waiting is something that we often don't do a lot in our Mm -hmm. culture. But the waiting is very brief. This whole process that I'm talking about can be done in about 15 seconds. So the waiting is where you just simply stop and you give added attention to whatever it is you placed your attention on, and you just be with that 110%. And then the last step is the exhalation. That's what the E stands for exhale and expand. And that's where you allow yourself to exhale a little bit longer than normal. And I'll tell you why in a minute. And as you do that, whatever sensations are in your body will be amplified. And that's because when we have a longer than normal exhalation, we activate something called the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve moves our nervous system in the direction of relaxation but it's not total relaxation; it's sort of energized relaxation, and so if we're focused on something we appreciate value or find amazing, and then we have this longer exhalation, we're going to amplify the sensations in our body, which are already positive mm-hmm. that's the entire that's the entire method it, it It can be done in one breath cycle, which is usually about ten or twelve seconds, or you can allow it to be extended where you you do it through several breath cycles. Either way is fine. Generally, the fewer the breath cycles, the easier it is because your mind doesn't have a chance to wander. Mm. Right. So even people like myself, who I'm a meditator, but I'm not a great meditator because my mind is so busy. With this practice, I don't have the challenge of... Quieting my mind, my mind can be very quiet for twelve or fifteen seconds. It's not, <laughs> if I start to try and do it for twenty minutes, it's more challenging
1: and the you mentioned in the book that there are you know I prior to reading your book, tended to think of awe in terms of like very sort of vast experiences and What I realized in reading your book was, A, it doesn't have to be this, like, I went to the Grand Canyon or I'm sitting on an island in Hawaii, but I can be in the midst of any moment of my day. And the other thing I realized, which I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, is that there are different types of awe. You talk about sensorial awe and, I think, interconnected awe and, and conceptual, which is the one I'm drawn to. Like, that's the one I tend to look for. So I'd love to talk a little bit about the different ways that we might experience awe.
3: Yeah, I'd like to talk about that too, because it's the distinction that makes our work unique. All the awe research that's been done previously that I'm aware of has invited people to access awe by being around something that really moves and captivates you, like you say, the Grand Canyon or watching virtual reality through goggles that just kind of blows your mind. Um, What we've done is we've invited people to find awe in the ordinary. So it can be as simple as waking up in the morning and opening your eyes and just finding awe in the light, the quality of the light that you're looking at. It can be that simple. Um, If you're sleeping with your partner and you're crazy about your partner, you could turn over and look at him or her and they're still sleeping, and you can find awe in the fact that they are there with you, next to you, and what they mean to you. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody's not with you, it may be a memory you have of a person who has been in your life, or maybe they're in your life, but they're not present in, the, in this moment. So it's, there's so many sources of awe that are available, and we miss them. We, we don't think to identify them. We don't think to connect with them, if they're subtle and yet they're incredibly profound hmm. and they, they do come in three categories we've identified. So sensorial law, which for most people is the easiest one. It's where your senses are stimulated through sight, sound, smell, touch. And uh, that's the one that is the most common and people experience it most often in nature. So just go out, be in nature and wake up their senses. And when their senses are, have been awoken, then we're asking them to pick one thing and really pay attention to it for 15 seconds. That's seems to be the most natural. The second one is interconnected awe, and that's awe as a result of connecting with another sentient being. Could be a person, could be a pet. And oftentimes it's in person where we're looking in their eyes or we're Um, touching someone's hair, or we're hugging our partner. And with awe, it's as simple as adding five seconds to the hug. Just five more seconds of really taking in this person and what it means to have this person in your life. And that can wake up awe. And then the last one is conceptual awe. I think you said that's the one that you find the most interesting. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're thinking of ideas or concepts or constructs that just move us deeply. They're so extraordinary. Uh, And sometimes these will come together. Uh, You know the new telescope that's out there sending Mm -hmm. back these pictures? Yes, I do. (laughs) Um, So that is conceptual uh, in that it's just phenomenal to see pictures of something that was, you know, millions of years ago and we're able to imagine it by looking at it now. Conceptually, that's extraordinary, but then the actual visual images are also extraordinary and that can stimulate sensorial law. You can have a blending of these things. Oh, I love that. That's really interesting. You know, the
1: other thing that I am really interested in is that awe is i believe the only emotional experience that can happen simultaneously while feeling stressed or sad or grieving even is this am i correct in
3: that yeah exactly that's right i i call it a meta emotion meta means beyond mm. so i can be depressed or sad or lonely but i can go beyond that emotion and also experience awe. Mm. So I can feel depressed and access awe. I can feel angry and access awe. I could even have awe at my capacity to experience anger and express it in a healthy way. Mm. So just imagine, you know we find ourselves angry at somebody, We go to express that anger and we do it in a way that's really appropriate, really constructive and helps us reconnect with that person. And there's awe in the fact that we have that capability, that we can do that,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: that we can have these emotions and feel them and move them in a healthy and constructive way.
2: You name three
1: levels of consciousness as well in the book. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about how, how and why consciousness comes into play in an experience of awe and how they overlap.
3: Yeah, it's kind of the backdrop. If I were to um, paint a picture for you of this, I would say that the most important thing to understand is that Most of our problems and challenges exist at a certain level of consciousness. And we, my wife and I have been doing work with groups for about 25 years. And we have identified these three levels of consciousness. The level at which most of us live most of the time is called safety consciousness. And that's where we are very focused on getting things done, taking care of business, solving problems, making sure our loved ones are safe, making sure we're safe. And it's a very necessary level to live in, and it's worth getting good at it. It's worth learning to navigate safety consciousness well. Mm-hmm. However, oh, and by the way, most therapy takes place at the level of safety consciousness. Typically, a client comes in, they say, I have a problem. They're disturbed by it, they're in safety consciousness, and the therapist engages with the client and they work at that level. Okay. Now, Beyond safety is another level called heart consciousness. And when we access that, what's happening is we're, 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 we're opening our hearts. We're opening ourselves to the wonder and the beauty that surrounds us. And this has been well-documented in Buddhism. There are gratitude practices and loving kindness practices and, um, There's something called heart math, which your listeners may be familiar with. It's a very well-researched and documented way of accessing heart consciousness by focusing on our heart and thinking positive thoughts. And it shifts our physiology when we do that in very dramatic ways. Mm. And it's very easy to do. Then there's another level, which is what isn't spoken about too much, and we refer to it as spacious consciousness. This is what many of the spiritual traditions are encouraging people to move towards, paradoxically to strive toward, right? Mm -hmm. It's as if I have a goal to be able to be in a state of spaciousness and spaciousness is this vast openness. It's a space of no words and no sense of time. So just imagine yourself entering a state of timelessness with no agenda, no words, and see if you can detect what happens in your body as you just hear my voice talking about this spacious quality, opening, opening, no boundaries, a sense of expansion and vastness. And typically when we do that, several things happen. One is that our sense of self becomes smaller and our sense of connection becomes greater. And this is a state that people have long sought to experience. And we believe that awe is a shortcut that gets Mm -hmm. us there in 10, 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. And the difference between spacious and heart consciousness is that when I'm trying to access heart consciousness, I'm actively thinking. I'm thinking about a person I love. I'm thinking about how fortunate I am. I'm thinking about the wonderful things in my life. So my mind is active. When I go to spacious consciousness, I send myself on a trajectory and I stop thinking. Mm -hmm. I just open myself up and thoughts stop. And there's a quiet expansiveness that I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but even when I talk about it, my physiology shifts. My, My nervous system goes into a place of deep relaxation and calm. Now I can't live there, but I can go there numerous times throughout the day. And one of my favorite things as a therapist and also in my personal life is that I use these states of consciousness proactively. So for example, if a client comes in and is disturbed about something, instead of delving into the content, which is what is very common, I'll say, I appreciate what you're talking about. We're definitely going to go into it. But before we do, I want to take a moment and I want to invite you to shift your state of consciousness. So I want Mm -hmm. you, and then I'll invite them either to go into hard consciousness or spacious consciousness. And if they've never done it before, I'll guide them in that process. Maybe it takes a minute, no more. Then I'll invite them to come back. And say, so let's go ahead and talk about what it is that you wanted to discuss when you first came in. Their voice quality is different. Their breathing pattern is different. Their attitude is different. The defensiveness that was there is decreased, if not gone. And now it's an entirely different conversation. And for your listeners, this is something that you can do in your personal life. This isn't exclusive to therapy. If you need to have a conversation, let's say that you think is going to be a difficult conversation with your partner, I hopefully you both know about this. But even if just one of you knows about it, I would say take a minute, 30 seconds to shift into a different state of consciousness before you have the conversation, and it will change the tone of that conversation. And if you both know how to do this it's just a gift that you can be giving to yourselves and each other.
1: And I know at the end of our conversation today, I'm going to ask you to guide us through meditation and practicing shifting consciousness. But I think that you mentioned in the book, perhaps, that it doesn't have to be a formal, I'm going to go sit down on my meditation cushion and close my eyes to shift consciousness. We can simply connect to that in a moment. Is that, Am I correct in that?
3: Yeah, I, I just did it right now. You're, you're talking, as you can hear in the background, my phone is ringing. So, you know, <laughs> you know a little a little self-conscious, I'm trying to get the phone. I'm, I keep answering it, hanging up on whoever's calling, right? So I'm starting to feel myself, get a little anxious. And then I think about my state of consciousness. I'm in safety. I'm trying to control things. That's what we do in safety consciousness. Mm. And then I shift to... Appreciating you and you're quite relaxed in terms of doing a podcast and you're very present. And I can just tell that this isn't a problem, right? And we can use it. We can use it as part of our conversation. So now I've shifted into a state of appreciation. And my nervous system has come back to a place of, of calm and quiet. So we can do this, we can do this anytime. We can do it quickly. It's a matter of two things. The first is awareness to identify what state of consciousness am i in right now i have to have the wherewithal and the awareness to ask that question and then the second question is what state of consciousness would i like to be in what would Mm -hmm. be appropriate now Mm -hmm. there are times where i'd like to be in heart consciousness but it may not be appropriate right so if i'm in a situation that's truly threatening It's probably not a good idea to shift into heart because I really do need to take care of myself and protect and do whatever is necessary. So those two questions, what state of consciousness am I in? What state would I like to be in and is appropriate?
2: Mm.
1: So, you know, as you're talking, I'm just reflecting on my day, which is so funny. So we're recording this on January 2nd, and it is my first day, quote unquote, back to work after a really lovely two weeks off with the kids. I have young kids and they're off, they're out of school. So I stopped working so that we can be home. And they're young enough that usually my anticipation is like, oh, I'm going to be really ready for school to start back, right? Two and a half weeks is a long time to not have school. But this year, they're just at a fun, like we just had fun. I'm not ready for school to be back. It was lovely. It was lovely not having to get up and rush in the morning. So it was a really interesting day because we had to get up. We had to get our stuff loaded in the car. We had to get out the door. I taught some classes earlier today. And as I was teaching, I was like, man, I feel so divided. I really like what I do. So I was happy to be back. I was happy to see my clients and be in that space again i have my new calendar on the wall over here i'm really happy about that and also like the break was lovely and i want to be there so i'm just reflecting a little bit on like oh I, maybe i was sort of dancing between states of consciousness perhaps today because definitely there was the
2: like i had to show up I had to get things done today right and also like it was lovely
3: right yeah so yeah I'm- Part of what I hear you describing is the attachment that we have. Mm. We get attached to things being a certain way, and then they're going to change. And when change occurs, we almost always go into safety consciousness. It's a defense mechanism to help deal with the unknown. But what I hear you doing in this situation is actually holding on to heart consciousness, even though change is taking place. It sounds like a kind of a sweet dance.
1: It was, it was a really interesting day. I will say that. I was like, ah, oh, this is so interesting. I'm, I really felt sort of a, a little bit like a dance. I'm moving back and forth between two feeling. And I like your suggestion of really naming for myself or ourselves as anybody who's listening. What state of consciousness am I in? And what state of consciousness... Do I want to be in? Is that the question you asked? Yeah? Yes. Do I yeah. want to be in? I, I really like that invitation as we step into moments. And I, I feel like one of the things I'm really paying attention to in my own work is that it isn't always the 20-minute meditation that's the most beneficial thing. And I, I love that for myself. I personally find that to be the luxury in my day. And if you meditate, I don't want you to stop. So if you're listening to this, I'm not telling you to stop. However, I find that there are also these little things, exactly what you're offering, that are so powerful in shifting moment to moment how we move through our day.
3: Yeah, I think what you're saying is really valuable, which is that for people who have a meditation practice, this is not a substitute. Yeah. This, is, this is a compliment. mm complement. If you're already a strong meditator and then you add in the awe method practice, I think you just deepen and enrich in the, you know, your contemplative practice. Um, If you're not a good meditator, you're frustrated with it. This is a great entry into the world of contemplation and the emotion of awe.
1: Yeah. And it's a way. One of my meditation teachers once invited me to notice how long I could carry that meditative feeling throughout my day. And the answer to that was an embarrassingly a short amount of time. Like being on the cushion by myself in a quiet space is one thing. And then walking up these stairs into the kitchen with two kids and a partner and dinner needing to get on the table is another thing. And so I think what you're offering us is this opportunity to carry that state throughout our day in a much easier way than imagining you're just going to stay meditative all day long, right?
3: Right. And then you're disappointed. Then you become self-critical. Of course,
1: the whole thing. Yeah, our
3: our book is being translated into several different languages, and in Germany, I think it came out a, a week ago. They changed the title; they called it "Mindfulness to Go."
1: Oh, I love that! Oh, isn't that good? <laughs> I thought that
3: was clever. Yeah, yeah. really yeah, good. good. Listening to you reminded me of that. Yeah,
1: I um, want to talk about one more thing quickly, and then let's do a practice together. So I've noticed towards the end of the book, you talk about existential anxiety, which is a topic we talk about a lot on this podcast. And um, I wonder if perhaps it feels more prevalent than ever as we deal with many crises on many fronts. Um, And you bring all in as a practice to support us in existential anxiety. I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'm uh, curious that you say that this is something you explore, you know, on your podcast, because it doesn't get enough attention, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this backdrop of being a human where we have anxiety related simply to the fact that we exist. Yeah. Nothing needs to happen. There is simply anxiety as a result of being human. And some of that comes from our awareness of the fact that we're mortal. We're we're, we're not going to be here forever. And the people we love are not going to be here forever, forever. That creates anxiety. Some of it has to do with the fact that everything is changing. Nothing is certain. And so how do we live in a world without certainty and calm ourselves, be relaxed, be present? And then the third primary cause of existential anxiety is that people are not present. And when we're not present, our physiology is at a very deep unconscious level goes on alert because Mm. we're at, again, at a very primitive level, we're asking, what am I missing? What am I not paying attention to? And when we're extremely present, that calms down. So when we're on a meditation cushion, oftentimes we don't have that kind of existential angst. And largely there are not great solutions for existential anxiety because it's not necessarily something that can be solved. It can be accepted, that's one step towards it. Um, and. It also can be affected by shifting our level of consciousness. So existential anxiety occurs primarily when we're in safety consciousness, where we want to know what's going on and we want to control it. But at some level, we know we can't. So when we go into spacious consciousness and time and words drop away, the concerns related to existential anxiety drop away. If there's nothing other than you and I being here right now in this moment, focused on this conversation, and, and, and that's all there is, then the anxiety decreases dramatically. It only arises when we start thinking about either what's next, what do we have to deal with, what if I make a mistake, what if something goes wrong, or if we get stuck thinking about what, did I, what mistake did I make or what should I have done differently, right? So, where we're in the past or the future, existential anxiety tends to rise. And awe is a way of bringing ourselves powerfully into the present moment.
1: I love that so much. And I, uh, I, I know we had an episode a while ago devoted to this. So, longtime listeners, you might remember this. But there was an episode where we practiced just ask or stating sort of reminding ourselves that there is nothing to fix in this moment which is a tricky statement right because if you really take it for if i can be right here just a second that is probably a true statement but it's almost impossible to stop your brain from going but right and then listing all of the things and so pulling in this practice of paying attention, waiting, exhaling, and expanding, just that very quick little practice, it feels almost um, like a synonym, right? Almost like an exact same offering. And it stops you from going, but, and doing the whole list afterwards.
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, my reaction is, well, I could do that for 10 seconds. I mean, mm-hmm. I could I could postpone the butt for 10 seconds. Right. But if you ask me to postpone it for 10 or minutes or 20 minutes, I don't think I can do that.
1: Yeah, exactly. exactly.
3: And again, what we're trying to do in those 10, 15, 20 seconds is we're resetting our nervous system. Mm. It, it's really important for listeners to understand that at the core, that's what the emotion of awe is doing. It's resetting our nervous system to a particularly healthy place where healing and regeneration and renewal can occur at a physiological and psychological level. Yeah. Now, you know, if we could live there all the time, maybe that would be great. That's not possible. But what if we did that five times a day? What if we did that once an hour? If you think of your nervous system kind of like a spring and you wake up in the morning and it's loose and flexible, and then as the day goes and challenges arise, the spring, your nervous system begins to get compressed, more compressed, more compressed, tighter and tighter. And by the end of the day, there's all this rigidity and stiffness, stiffness in our bodies, stiffness in our minds, stiffness in the way we relate with people, reactivity, judgmentalness, defensiveness. Well, if every hour I do a 30-second practice and I release the tension in the spring, I release Mm. the tension in my nervous system, at the end of the day, I'm not going to be where I would have been had I not done this practice.
2: I love yeah. that. Yeah. All right. And so, so, yeah, listeners, we have our
1: gentle marching orders. Once an hour, let's try it. Um, but for today, Jake, if you wouldn't mind, I would love for you to share the meditation that you share in the book on shifting our levels of consciousness. Listeners, I really want us to practice this as well. Yeah. Um, so take it away. Yeah, this, is a,
3: this is a relatively short meditation. I'm guessing it's something like one to two minutes. Perfect. And the idea is for you to experience the different levels of consciousness. So um, to begin, sit on a cushion or in a chair in a comfortable position with your spine erect if possible. And if it's comfortable,
2: cross your ankles
3: and your hands can rest in your lap with the tip of your index fingers touching the tips of your thumbs. Breathe normally,
2: relaxing more with each breath. As you
3: continue breathing, you can close your eyes. Take a moment to imagine a small light in the center of your head. With each breath, allow the light to grow larger and stronger. And as the light grows, it fills your head, expanding
2: with each breath, extending beyond your
3: head at a certain point, growing in every direction. Imagine that the light expands in front of you, behind you, to both sides, as well as above and below you. This light represents an energy field that can extend several feet beyond your body in every direction.
2: Allow yourself to be aware of this energy
3: field, this large sphere of light that surrounds you. This is a place to be present and rest for a few minutes. You can say in your own mind, I disinvite any thoughts or intrusions from being in this space for the next few minutes. As you continue breathing, place your attention at the base of your spine. Notice the quality of the energy at the base of your spine, and imagine that this is the home of safety consciousness, an extremely valuable state of consciousness that is with us from the time we are born until the time we die. As you focus on safety consciousness, if you're comfortable doing so, begin breathing in the nose and out the mouth in the nose, and out the mouth. And as you're doing so, I'm going to express some of the things that you may feel when in safety consciousness. Just continue breathing in the nose, out the mouth, and notice any sensations in your body. Okay, here we go. Some of the things that may arise in safety consciousness. Sometimes I feel driven to do things.
2: Sometimes I feel at a loss. Sometimes I feel smart. Sometimes I feel like I don't know what to do. Sometimes I feel determined. Sometimes I feel like I need help. And sometimes I feel like helping others. Continue
3: breathing in the nose, out the mouth. All these feelings arise within safety consciousness. Each one of these feelings is possible because you are alive. Safety consciousness is a state of being in which we experience our needs and vulnerabilities, and we make plans, we take action, we set boundaries to help us navigate life. Safety consciousness spurs us to find solutions that help us grow and feel more secure. Take a moment to appreciate safety consciousness, trusting your instincts, your skills, and insights to guide you, providing a strong foundation upon which to build your life. Much that you have and value is the result of having managed your life well in safety consciousness. As you take a few moments to appreciate all that safety consciousness offers you, you may begin to feel the energy at the base of your spine start to rise start to rise. Just notice the act of appreciation can help shift our state of being. If you feel the energy rising, allow it to continue. And if not, imagine the energy rising. Encourage the energy in the base of your spine to flow up into your heart center. Continue
2: breathing but now breathe in the nose and out the
3: nose if that's comfortable for you. As you access heart consciousness, take a few moments to appreciate the people in your life who you love and the people who love you.
2: Appreciate the pets that you may have in your life and the places that you love to visit. Appreciate the gifts you have and the qualities that you value about yourself. Appreciate the beauty. Rest in the beauty.
3: Pause for a few moments. Notice the sensations in your body and the quality of being in heart consciousness.
2: Notice how this may be different than the way you felt in safety consciousness. You may begin to notice the
3: energy in your spine starting to rise again. If so, allow it to rise Or imagine it flowing up your spine into your head. The energy may even continue to rise through and beyond your head. As the energy rises, you may become aware of spacious consciousness, a state in which there are no words. This is a state of expanding awareness and timelessness. There is no need to track or describe. Just be in this expansive state for a
2: few moments. Breathing. Relaxing. Expanding.
3: Boundless. Spacious presence. Notice the overall sensation of being in this state. Notice if it is familiar or unfamiliar. Experience this way of being that is effortless.
2: Pause.
3: And then when you feel ready to bring this meditation to a close, allow the energy to slowly drift back down from your head to your heart. Pause for a moment to re-experience heart consciousness, a state of deep appreciation. Be aware of any changes in your
2: body as you do this.
3: And then when you're ready, allow the energy to drift back down from your heart to the bottom of your spine to safety consciousness, the foundation upon which you live your life. Pause for a moment and notice
2: any sensations in your body. And when you're ready, open your eyes and bring your attention back to the present moment. Jake, thank you so much. Such a good practice.
3: Yeah, I, uh, I just want to suggest to people as they start this new year that this can be very easy. Uh, there are so many ideas about change and growth being difficult and requiring a lot of effort. Uh, this practice of accessing the emotion of awe and this practice of shifting our level of consciousness, this does not have to be hard. It does not take a lot of time. It is uh, remarkably accessible to all of us.
1: Thank you. Here, hear to that. Um, so listeners, you've now had two episodes devoted to the power of awe. I hope you get the book. I hope you read it. And um, Jake, where can listeners find more about you? Or are you retired and you don't want anybody talking to you? Did you embrace retirement?
3: <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> Uh, As a matter of fact, after Michael and I finished writing this and promoting it, um, I then got very enthusiastic about a course I created called Transformative Tales. Mm -hmm. It's a a five-month program that people do, home study, um, that's very old-fashioned. You get six little booklets and you read a booklet, and then you spend three weeks contemplating what you read. And every three days, you get a audio recording in the mail, in the email, very short audio recording, to deepen and reinforce what it is that you're learning and opening up to. Mm. And um, it was born somewhat out of the work we did on awe, because I had this striking awareness that people simply need to slow down, do less, and develop some mastery at a few things that really make a difference in our lives. And so I identified, I identified six things that I believe if we had mastery in these six areas, it would radically change the quality of our lives and our relationships. Ooh. Well, so now we have to do
1: a whole nother episode. <laughs> yeah.
3: Maybe we will do that. Um so if people, if people want information about The Power of Awe, that's our website. It's thepowerofawe.com. If people are interested in other things that I'm doing, uh, my wife and I have a website called Live Conscious, liveconscious.com. And on that uh, website, there's some information about the Transformative Tales course and some other things that we do.
1: I will link both in the show notes. One last question, and I will let you go. Are the Transformative Tales, is it like myth? or is it stories about like, what are the tales? I'm just curious.
3: Well, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a blend. So they are very grounded, pragmatic, pragmatic real skills that we can mm-hmm. all practice and they make a huge difference. But I tell them, um, through a story that began when I had a car accident at the age of 18 mm-hmm. and, um, you hear me hesitating. I've never figured out how to say this. Um, so I, I either died in the car accident or something died. Mm. Um, it was so disorienting and so severe that I really don't know how to describe it. A lot of people jump to the conclusion that I that I died and I accessed a different world. I don't know about that. I don't, I don't pretend to. But I do know that something shifted and cleared my mind in such a way that I became open to receive information that I don't know that I could have received had I not had the accident mm-hmm. and and it's that information in these states that I've been in that are how I learned these skills and how I and I tell that story basically wow. that's that's what it's about. Oh,
1: well, I think we'll all go to your website to learn more. Okay. <laughs> Jay, um, thank you for sharing some time with me today. This was an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed connecting with you.
3: Thank you. I really like starting my new year with you.
1: Mm, so I'm
3: so glad. Yeah. Let's stay in touch. Let's. Okay.
1: Thanks. Thanks
0: for listening to the Mindful Minute. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving me a review wherever you get your podcasts. This helps others to find the show, and let's face it, we could definitely use more meditators in this world. The Mindful Minute is recorded on Muskogee land and produced with the support of Madeline Day Production Management and Brianna Nielsen Virtual Assistance. To join my live classes, ask questions, or learn more about my teacher trainings, please visit MerrillArnett.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you guys next week.